Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 155 for Monday, August 23rd, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and Johnny is on vacation this week, but I am happy to have Gemini Tay here to co-host the show with me. If you're not familiar, Gemini Tay is a longtime Minecraft creator, recently crossing the milestone of 1 million subscribers on YouTube. Currently keeping busy on both the Hermitcraft and the Empire's multiplayer server, you can find her on Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch at Gemini Tay, sometimes Gemini Tay MC, depending on where you're looking, and I... Cannot say how excited I am to have you back on the show, Jem. Well, hello, everyone. Hello, Joel. Happy to be filling in here for the lovely Johnny. Happy to be back as well as my second time on the show. It is. Uh, for folks looking to archive dive, they can check out the Spawn Chunks episode number 77, a creative conversation with Gemini Tay. That was back in February of 2020. And if you'd like to hear more about what Gemini does outside of Minecraft, including cod fishing and mm -hmm. secluded beaches <laughs> in rural Newfoundland, then check out the render distance. That's the extended version of the podcast. You can get that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. You can support the show, join the discord and get the extended version of the show all at once. Uh, we can't thank you enough. It's a great way to keep the show going and uh, Hey, you get extra Gemini Tay, so can't complain. Everybody wants that. <laughs> so Normally on the show, we do a, a quick login where we talk about what we have been up to in Minecraft, and I usually let the guest go first. So, Jem, what, what's new in your Minecraft world these days? Oh, so many things are new in my Minecraft world. I am currently a part of two Minecraft worlds, Hermitcraft and Empires. I've been working super hard on my Empires base recently. I have a giant woodland mansion going in a cottage core style. Very cool. I got to work with Doc, Ren, and Pearl just yesterday on a project which was so much fun i have been watching doc probably since i was like 15 16 and i'm 25 now so to get to work with him on some projects has been just incredible like the best the best thing ever he's he's so cool i've been also playing a lot on empires challenging myself with some storytelling some role play which has been really fun getting to write this wizard character that i'm working with it's really been fantastic what about you I don't do a lot of role play. Uh, our our time on the Sigil server has been mostly just kind of like building visual projects, but then most of us are just kind of like ourselves. There's themes. Like my friend Alistair has uh, an obsession with lava. He just kind of, it's just kind of something fun that he leans into when he does live right, streams yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so like, how do you, how do you find the role play? Is that something that you've done in other games, like tabletop games or, or other experiences before? I haven't. You know, I've never played a game of Dungeons and Dragons, but I would love to because the role play that we're doing here, I'm told, is very similar to it. So I think that I would love something like that. But it, it's been so much fun getting into these different characters and everybody on the server has a different character. I'm a wizard, so people are kings and queens and everybody has these different themes. We get to interact. There's a demon on the server at the moment haunting all of us. It's just so much fun. And I can tell that the audience is really enjoying the story as well. Getting to read the fan theories has been amazing. Just... Just a good time all around. That's going to be really cool too, uh, as as creators, you know, a server full of, of content creators as Empires is, where you can have a little backstory that you all know behind the scenes, even if it's just a loose outline, because there's a lot of ad-libbing and just random stuff that happens mm -hmm. in Minecraft that you can't plan. Uh, but to know where it's going and then to see the input from fans kind of guessing where it's going and and having that uh we'll say spark of mystery kind of like peak interest for for viewers um have you found yeah, that that's yeah. been helpful in terms of both your creativity but also like in like viewer engagement 
It has been, yeah. The the fan theories, especially in the comments, oh my gosh, it's so much fun. It's something that we do on Empires all the time as we compare all of these fan arts and things that are happening. And it's it really challenges me because it's not something that I did before. I mean, I've latched onto little stories before in my worlds, but it's never been like, I'm a magical wizard who needs to fight this demon and get through it. Like, it's, it's never been that deep of a storyline with so many cross connections to other players. So it's actually been helpful to see how the audience reacts because I get to balance my character off of that. Like, I'm go if I'm going too hard and with the demon and people want more of, you know, empire stuff, war and trades, then I get to kind of bounce off of them. And it's just been a really cool collaborative event. We've been trying to do more collaborative stuff on the Citadel, but... I often find scheduling with other members mm, is a little bit challenging because yeah. it's, I mean, everybody on there is like a busy working full-time adult with often children. So it's like evenings, weekends, uh, time zones, like it's kind of hard to, to line things up. Right. Um, d d depending on which server we're talking about, like, do you find one easier to schedule kind of like collabs than the other? Well, because on both servers, I'm pretty sure everyone is full-time into Minecraft, so it hasn't actually been too hard. Like, normally if somebody messages me, like if Flip is like, hey, I have this quick idea, can you get on real quick right now? Usually I'm like, yeah, I can get on right now, and, <laughs> and it just works out that way. Of course, sometimes we do have to schedule things, but most people have times of the day that they're trying to be more available, like 8 p.m. BST for some reason is available worldwide on both servers that I'm on. Everybody's always ready to go at that time. So it just works out. There's certain times we know people are available. There's certain days you kind of get used to everybody's schedule. Like some people take weekends, some people take Mondays, Tuesdays off, and you get, just kind of get used to it and schedule around it. I do try to take um, my weekends off from my regular work, but that's kind of where I fit in my Minecraft time is, is on right. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, but I've had decent luck in the last little while uh even though i do stream on weekends i find that i i can still block my evenings like i like to cook and so when it comes down to like six or seven o'clock at night i can usually block at a time where i'm just not available to do you know computer stuff um right. the, the exception being sometimes i'll do like extra podcasts and things like that so for me on the citadel this week i finished the interior of my riverside warehouse that i've been working on for the last little while and uh, i've been really happy with the way that it's turned out i actually stole a few ideas from uh, a friend of yours actually i saw pearlescent moon do some large barrel designs on on hermitcraft and i thought i'm i'm gonna steal those and uh, they worked <laughs> out rather well uh, to try and fill up some space and the um the build is full of like secret corridors and it's so nice to have um a couple little custom textures like i use a crate texture on my note block uh a note block on its own can sort of pass for a crate but if you actually make it look like a crate in minecraft it doesn't really i feel turn or or, or take away from anything else in minecraft because people don't generally decorate with note blocks all the time uh and uh so I've been using those kind of like little custom tweaks to to kind of help sell the inside of, of my builds. Um, wow, yeah, those look beautiful. I'm looking at them now. I love the scale that you work on, all the little details that you fit into it. Thank That's you. So perfect for that, the Minecraft player. That means a lot coming from you. Let me let me say, uh, it's a uh, it's it's a challenge for me to get into the micro stuff, like the the chains and the and the. Mm grindstones and all the little things that people do uh, i take notes whenever i see a new use for like a sub block uh, on on a, a stream or a, a video that i'm watching because it's not something that i'm kind of accustomed to 
Um, right, the yeah. I try to do things at player scale. Uh, I know there's like a almost like a player and a half scale that you see sometimes, and mm -hmm. I know I generally I. I bump up my roofs. My roofs tend to be a little bit bigger than an average house would be because I think that you just get more detail into it and it looks a little bit better in Minecraft. Um, but, um, but yeah, the challenging thing for me lately has been the textures in particular, the textures of the new blocks and trying to figure out what tough works well with and what deep slate works well with. And, uh, yes. When you're working on a build that's only like seven or nine blocks wide, it's really difficult not to have it look like a checkerboard sometimes. It can be, yeah. You have to be careful with those gradients, especially the high contrast ones and ones that blend together. But the deep slate can be a little tricky. It's a little high contrast next to the stone, but it seems like you're making it work. Thanks, yeah. And I do I do find it tricky. It's one of those things that um, I get questions a lot when I stream. It's like, Joel, do you build these? beforehand like do you do these in creative before you build them live on streams like no that's why it's taken me three hours to build this one wall <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a me a lot of me like breaking a block and replacing the block and moving it like one block to the left and people are just like what are you doing i'm just like just, oh yes i relate <laughs> <laughs> like, just let let me let me do the thing it's it's hard to sometimes articulate as, I, as i'm doing it but uh, i do try to find like that that color balance I, f I find being an artist in real life is is nice it does help with trying to kind of trick the eye into thinking that this um nine block wide gradient actually actually works um but uh, i'm really digging the two-tier design like i like the functionality of these builds i've got a staircase inside there's a staircase outside there's a secret passageway underneath that leads into two other buildings like that kind of stuff i just find is is fun and uh we'll talk about this later in the show actually i try not to fly around the town too much like if i'm just working in an area i'll tend to walk around and then i'll right, walk a yeah. different path every time i go because I can go upstairs, no, downstairs. Yeah, that's the type of thing. It works perfectly with this scale of build. It's built for the Minecraft player. It's perfect for that. Yeah, I'm hoping to invite some of the other server members around to like walk around on their own. And it would be kind of fun. I mean, some of them have watched some streams, but it'd be kind of fun to see where they go on their own without any direction ah, for yeah. me. Like go in, walk around, see what you find and just not really give them any kind of like directions or tour guides or anything like that. Um, I, uh, I am... I'm happy with the roof. I was struggling with the roof last time and I feel like I've managed to solidify it so that it doesn't look like it's floating. Uh, a couple of trapdoors, a couple of note blocks, that kind of stuff sent, tended to kind of like help it be settled on top. But um, I, it's one of those things where you kind of have to step away and say like, well, that's as good as it's going to get on this scale. And I don't want to make it any taller because there's a number of things behind it. You can't see it in the screenshot that I shared, but um, there's a number of things behind it that I don't want to block the view. Um, when you're building your towns, because you do wonderful like cottage type designs with like peaky roofs and all kinds of great stuff. Do you find that you're also looking at the landscape? Like, are you looking at like, I want to build this thing here, but I also don't want to obstruct other things. Like, do you use that kind of guide yeah, to scale your Yeah, I do look at that a little bit, but you also, you can obstruct things so that there's a grand reveal when you walk past them. Like that's a method that I tend to use or use it as an excuse so that I can put massive roofs on my builds because I do prefer that very fantasy, ginormous roofs that doesn't make any sense, but looks really cool. It's kind of the style that I've been going for right now, but it works for me because in my Hermitcraft base, for example, I put my main base on a big hill, so it's not hidden anyways, it works out. Right. Yeah, the, the keep in this town is up on a hill as well. For that reason, like I, I didn't want to build the keep like crazy tall, but if by putting mm -hmm. it up on top of the hill, of course, you can see it from pretty much everywhere. Uh, you mentioned something a few minutes ago, uh, cottage core, and I'm not familiar right. with, with the term. So like for anybody that isn't like what, what does cottage core mean? 
I'm very bad at describing this. Actually, Joe Hills asked me to describe it once, and I was like, Joe, I, <laughs> I can't help you with this. It's basically just an aesthetic of sorts. Like, you get a very, like, nature-y, like, picture a cottage in the woods with a little vegetable garden next to it and some pretty maybe rose bushes, some flowers, some mushrooms. Like, just very nature-y, simple aesthetic. Okay, so very rural. Mm-hmm, definitely. Right. Okay, lots of like growth and, and nature in it. Okay, cool. Interesting. I just, I haven't heard the term before, so I was, I was curious about it. Um, the other thing that I worked on this weekend, uh, I didn't finish it because I'm not entirely sure on the placement, but uh, I put a stable in between the blacksmith and the church and uh, going for another thatched roof. We had a lot of success with the last one I did, and it's far enough away from the apothecary that it's not going to clash or anything like that. And it's challenging because it's an, it's a 45 degree angle build and I always find them a little bit um, tricky. Ah, yeah, I see that. That's a cool place to put one though. I love those angled builds to fill up space between two other like more straight buildings. Uh, they just fit in so well. Thanks. I, I really appreciate that because I've been struggling with the placement. I'm trying to decide if I want it to be at a 45, if I'd rather have it be, I'm not sure how to describe it, like those stepped builds where it's it's more like, you know, three blocks down, then one over and then three blocks down. So it's more of like a 20 degree mm. as opposed to a 45. Because um, those are a little bit easier in terms of the ruse because then they just kind of go in sections rather than having the entire thing be at an angle. And um, obviously I haven't done any texturing or had added any details inside, no horses and stuff. Because again, if I move the building, I don't want to have to move all that too. Um, <laughs> true, true. But I just, for whatever reason, it just didn't feel quite right. And I'm wondering if it's just because I haven't finished the church courtyard behind things. Like, so there, when you look between the buildings, there's just a whole lot of nothing. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering if maybe that's what's going on. But uh, I'm glad that the placement seems to sit well, because the idea was like, well, if you're going to have a blacksmith, you're not going to have the stable on the other side of town. <laughs> if you want to yeah, get your horse shoe. Yeah, you're going to want to be very close by. So the idea is that um, you can't see it from here, but there's a there's going to be a I'm not sure what you want to call it, like a, a roofed outdoor section where the blacksmith can just like walk over to the stable, access everything, bring a horse over, shoe it, that sort of idea. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get into like armor stand placement and stuff like that to like have like, we've got the statue data pack on the server. So I'm not sure if I'm going to get into that, but um, I just, yeah. I'm happy to have what is the last building in that section of town go up. There's still a lot of details. The, the roads and the courtyards and stuff still need all that. Um, oh, cottage core treatment. And hey, there we go. <laughs> I still have to do a lot of the vegetation and stuff. I really like actually how you've um, you've mentioned that the blacksmith can will be able to walk to the stables because that is something that is tough to think about when you're making these builds because you can just sort of freely place things everywhere but you're actually thinking about the story and the people who would live in this place. I love that. Thanks. Yeah, I I try to think about building in Minecraft like designing a video game within Minecraft. I spent a lot of time in World of Warcraft in my mm, earlier yeah. gaming life. And uh, the reveals of walking around corners into big vistas, into towns, um, you know, getting past these big towers and seeing uh, shipyards or whatever it is. Um, also, just the manicured path of the player because of, of course, in a map like World of Warcraft, everything, every tree, bush, rock is all placed. You're all, you're meant to go a certain mm. way. And I like, kind of guiding the player it's something i do in art when i'm designing a background or something you kind of want to guide the the eye of the viewer so i'm trying to guide the player into thinking like well if i just walk down this way or like oh wait a minute 
there's an alley here and I can sort of see smoke coming out there. Like wonder what's down there. Like that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. I try so to. Interesting. Yeah. Anytime I can put motion in the game or any kind of color distraction. So I've really been been hit by the, the grays <laughs> in the medieval town. <laughs> there's an awful lot of gray going on. So anytime I can put like a beetroot or a bush or a flower or something to kind of like pull your eye and say, oh, there's actually a little balcony garden down that way. I wonder who lives there. Uh, it, it's trying to entice the players to walk around. And really it's, it's in line with the scale of everything. I kind of wanted to feel like if this was a map, you know, if this was something that uh, players could, could explore and, and do something in, um, then, you know, you'd want it to feel player scale and pathable. And um, I really don't like walking through Minecraft streets where you're banging off stuff. Like I just, I, yeah. it drives me nuts. Like, so gotta think about that. Yeah. And I'm, so a lot of my other pathways in the game have either been wide open paths in the overworld or there've been nether tunnels, which are like three by three or five by five. So getting into alleys that are meant to feel narrow, but not frustratingly Minecraft narrow <laughs> uh, has, <laughs> has been difficult. Like they kind of have to be two and a half or, or two ish you know, blocks wide. And, mm -hmm. and if they're not, then you bang off of things. And if they're too wide, then it just feels like the houses are miles apart because then it's like a 10 foot or a, a nine meter wide space. And he's like, well, this is too big. <laughs> so it's, it's hard to kind of get that, um, that medieval kind of like piled on top of one another feel. Um, but, uh, but it's been going well. It's, it's been a rewarding project. I've been working on this for like nine months. I know. I feel like I've been following you working on it for a long time, but it's so impressive what you've done with it. I love the the scale once again, and just the the details with that anvil, the chains that you've used. I forget about chains. I have to admit, I forget about them, but they're so good. And the way you've used them in this build is, is lovely. Just hanging stuff off the roofs is a big deal. Getting that grindstone up there, I see. All the little details make a big difference to the player as they're walking along. Thanks so much. Yeah, I think any kind of indication or hint at what could move yeah definitely does that it adds motion even though there is no motion yeah that little nuance moving on into the news this week we have had another experimental snapshot for java edition 118 and that is snapshot number four we'll be reading the comparison to snapshot number three so the temples have been tweaked Desert temples now tend to be partially buried jungle and desert temples no longer generate on top of water Badlands and deserts are larger and less likely to show up as ugly microbiome splotches. Terracotta bands go higher in the world, and wooded badlands, grass, and trees start higher. We've made biome placement a bit smoother and less noisy. Again, this should result in fewer microbiomes. Again. <laughs> and we've tweaked the general biome placement to reduce the risk of harsh biome collisions. Removed surface freezing for hot biomes and raised the altitude at which snow layers are placed. This should result in fewer weird things like jungle trees with snow on top. Made snowy slopes less dirty. Again, for real this time. Made the terrain in extreme hills less unextreme. So more, more extreme? Uh, and fiddled with the general placement of shattered terrain in extreme hills to make it fit in with terrain better. Reduce the likelihood of rivers being cut off and turning into steep, dry river gorges in mountain terrain. Instead, rivers will tend to either carve out a fjord through the mountain range or raise the terrain to form a saddle valley between the peaks. This should make the terrain friendlier for both walking and boating. It tends to make rivers a bit wider in general. Reduce the number of diorite, 
andesite and granite blobs on the surface. This should reduce the spray paint look of stone shores. Stone shores sometimes generate layers or strips of gravel, diorite, andesite, or granite. And stony peaks sometimes generate layers of gravel, calcite, andesite, or granite. Asterisk, that means no more need to destroy geodes to get calcite. More iron. You'll still have to go caving in mountains and climbing to find it, but when you do find it, you'll find more. Swampier swamps just keep on getting happier. They are less likely to extend far out into the coast, and the rivers in swamps tend to be shallower. Bigger copper blobs in dripstone caves. Go to that biome if you want more copper, either that or find a large copper vein. We also have some lovely news from Henrik Nieberg this week, who has been sharing some images from the shattered savanna and beach biomes along the Minecraft coastlines on Twitter. The images are absolutely lovely if you'd like to look them up on his Twitter, but the shattered terrain seems a bit too common on coastlines, so Henrik is testing replacing some of it with flat beachy coastlines, which makes it a little bit easier and friendlier for the player, as was mentioned above a little bit. He's also been adding some grass to make beaches look flatter, but the trade-off was that the grass was perhaps not matching in color the way that it should. Overall, though, I'm kind of enjoying these changes. So I know that we've been addressing the extreme snapshots or experimental snapshots uh, quite a bit on the show lately. Uh, but since you're here, I'd love to know if you've had any time to explore the experimental snapshot progress over the last little while. Like, what do you think of these changes that they've been making? I actually had not tried them until yesterday. I looked them up just for the show and oh my gosh, I am so glad that I did. It was so cool. They made me so excited for Minecraft 1.18. Uh, I took some time to explore, especially the snowy slopes. I was very impressed by them, as well as some of the, the islands and the coastlines are just a lot more interesting now. It is, does seem a little bit more tricky to walk around, which I know we are going to reference a little bit later, but in survival mode, very cool to explore. I mean, looking up and seeing the snowy slopes rise in the distance is just something that I've been missing in Minecraft. I, I love it. As somebody who isn't thrilled about building handmade mountains, personally, not that big of a terraformer, very happy to have Minecraft do it for me, and I love the way they look. I'm with you on the... the lack of desire to build a mountain myself i uh i'd much rather find one and build around it mm -hmm. and if you can find something that naturally looks you know 80 percent of what you want and all you need to do is tweak it like put a couple custom trees around uh maybe add a waterfall or something that you want or build something to it that that you think would make a good addition like a castle or something uh, i like that sense of like getting inspired by the landscape rather than just saying, there's a giant nothing here. I'm going to build a mountain. Yes, exactly. It's so fun. As I was walking around, I was actually in a, in a call with one of my other YouTuber friends, the Orion Sound. We were, I was screen sharing Minecraft at the time and I found this sunflower plains that led up into this big giant mountain. And I was like, oh, I could picture a cottage here in the fields and one on the little ledge over there. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And there'd be a bridge in the middle. And it just, it made us want to build. And that's what Minecraft should do, I think. I also like the notes um, from Henrik about more iron, uh, about the calcite being in the mm -hmm. stony peaks now, because uh, we, we've discussed on the show before about how amazing geodes are and how the first thing you do is basically strip them <laughs> because you want <laughs> you want the calcite. Yes, give and, me all of that. Yeah. 
I mean, we can make smooth basalt. So that's like, you can destroy an ugly, well, I shouldn't say ugly, because I, I really like the, the basalt deltas in the nether. But if you find one that's just kind of out of place or in the way and you manage to destroy it, then you've got mm -hmm. basalt for days, you know. Uh, so you don't need to worry about the basalt, the smooth basalt around a, a geode necessarily. But the calcite, it was the only place to get calcite. And so I, I think that uh, having other locations that are, either less likely to you know be so rare or less likely to to be vexing the player to destroy them and and harvest the calcite because you could always just replace the calcite with something else right and then yeah, you never no, know i totally agree <laughs> you'd never it's know it's definitely necessary i'm building out of a lot of it on empires right now and i have destroyed quite a few geodes so it's nice to have another source <laughs> Looking at uh, the other additions, like uh, more copper in dripstone caves, I think that's fun. Another reason to go to dripstone caves mm -hmm. and uh, more iron is also good because I know that I struggled a couple of my survival playthroughs on the snapshot servers, not servers, at snapshot worlds to find enough iron to then get myself geared up to go caving. I found that yeah. I was getting my, my butt handed to me. Especially with these giant caves, it's so necessary. You need it. And that's the other thing about this update that has me excited is because I'd love to do something like um, Moria in, in Lord of the Rings where you dig out a big cave and you make pillars and make it look like a big dwarven city. But right, just yeah. like you don't want to build a mountain, I also don't want to hollow one out by, <laughs> by hand. So I will be yep. looking for a giant cave that I can say, this is good enough. I'll start here. <laughs> I know... <laughs> I know there'll be some digging, but I'd rather have there be some than have an entire, like, you know, several dozen chunks of just solid rock and earth to, to get through because that's that's one of the one of the, the grinds in Minecraft that I no longer enjoy um, or I enjoy for a brief moment. It's like, yeah, this was fun for 45 minutes. I'm done. My podcast is over. <laughs> I'm now going to move on <laughs> and I like to do some building, please. Um, I'm also yeah, a pack rat definitely. and I can't let it all despawn like I have to put it someplace. <laughs> Oh, gosh. And so that becomes a problem. Yeah, no, me too. Moving on into uh, Henrik's images. Uh, I like the, the stuff. Uh, it's the kind of thing that listeners will have to go to his Twitter account and, and look at the images to really understand. But uh, the shattered terrain really close to coastlines, uh, I just always kind of thought is like, well, that's just Minecraft being Minecraft. But it's very subtle to then change just like the, you know, the dozen or two dozen blocks right on the coast to a beach and still have the mm -hmm. shattered savanna behind that and it seems to have a desired effect of a much better transition from crazy shattered terrain down to water no i definitely agree it's it has always been minecrafty uh, even with the previous in previous worlds when you'd have pieces of floating chunks of terrain and those shattered savannas you'll just be like ah that's minecraft but that slight change really just made it a little bit more realistic to your eye it's so much more interesting to explore I really like what what he's been doing with beaches. Uh, I feel like it's it's creating more of a realistic way of you know where beaches would form in terms of the low lying terrain, and then as soon as the terrain gets just a little bit higher, you no longer get beaches, but you get the stony shore, which I think might be mm -hmm. one of my favorite features of one eighteen. Uh, I mean, yes, I don't know about you, definitely. but it feels like home here in Nova Scotia. It feels like a lot of the <laughs> coastline that I walk around um, now. The grass on beaches in one of the other images uh, that, that Henrik shared, I don't think I'm sold. I, I feel like in those images, the beaches without grass look better than the beaches that have grass. I know what they're trying to do because the beaches around here, when I do have a white sandy beach, there's a, there's a sand dune. There's, there's a, um, a grassy dune that separates usually mm -hmm. some marshland or something else from the ocean. 
uh, as just naturally happens uh, in the world. But I don't know if it necessarily works in Minecraft because it's not like waving grass in the wind in sand. It's right. It's a grass block with dirt underneath it, right? We don't have grass <laughs> on top of sand in this game. And I think that would be the only thing that they could do differently would be allow, you know, grass to actually happen on sand. But I, I don't know if they're really going to go that yeah, far. Yeah, something to smoothen out that transition would definitely be helpful. I do prefer the sand as well. It gives us a couple of beaches. Like, like he mentioned, the grass color is really what throws it off there with the difference in biome. So something to blend it would be really helpful. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And uh, the, the only thing that I think would be a, a difference is that in, in those examples, the beach gets to a certain Y level. And at, at that Y level is what they change... Mm -hmm. the 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 blocks into grass and so i think just remove those blocks i think like have beaches go up to a certain y level and then after that just have them not have any higher sand you know like keep the beaches low have the nice grassy kind of like cliff nearby i'm thinking about vacations that i've taken in prince edward island as a kid and there'd be sandy cliffs not stony cliffs where the beach has just right. been eroded over time with waves and and so you still have that drop but it's like grass on top and sand in the bottom and not a straight drop but like a pretty steep steep incline so i think there could be some fun stuff to explore there but again they don't want it to look exactly like the real world because then there's not gonna be much left for players to do <laughs> true true you had to leave some to the imagination i liked how some of it actually looked similar to newfoundland's coast especially those uh, stony shores in particular those like kind of just awkward cliffs in spots with absolutely no beach in between i mean that's exactly what we have here in newfoundland and we make the best of it so i enjoyed seeing that i definitely had a little chuckle at that Moving on into the email this week, we have a quick reply from Jack K to last week's episode. If you'd like to send an email in, that's spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. And it is concerning bedrock cauldrons and a question we had. I'm a bedrock player and you can both dye water in cauldrons and fill cauldrons with potions. So thanks, Jack uh, and others for writing in and confirming the bedrock colored cauldron conundrum from last week. Uh, say that six times fast. <laughs> I write myself into holes sometimes, I swear. <laughs> also, I'm jealous. Like, I, I've tried Bedrock once or twice on the Xbox just to kind of experience it and be able to talk about it on the show. And uh, I, I mean, I'm a Java player at heart. I'm not, I'm not sure about you. No, me as well. There are some things where I'm just like, I want that. <laughs> like, why, why can't we die? Yeah. Cauldrons. Bedrock has some amazing stuff. I agree. I am a wizard right now. And if I could have potions in cauldrons, that would change my life. But I cannot. I hope the Bedrock players enjoy it. <laughs> Sidebar, I actually saw a texture pack recently. Uh, try, I'm trying to remember who it was that made it. It might have been Jermsey Boy. But all of the potion bottles have different shapes. So they're not just different colors. Ah, they're actually different yes. shapes. And I think that's great. And it's two things. One, it's creative. But it also, for anybody that's like got colorblind challenges, like having a different silhouette and shape to a fire resist potion compared to a strength potion is going to be awesome. Absolutely. Because then you can tell oh which is gosh. which, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it, for some of them, it's hard to tell now. Some of the ones that are that dark blue or the, the reddish color, like I could see how that could be an issue. And that would be so cool for decorating as well, having them on the walls in different colors and different shapes. Do you play with the enchantment glint enabled? I do, yep. If you want something fun to test, if you remove the enchantment glint by changing the texture, I think it's to a solid black, then it just won't show up in any of your in any of your gear. Mm -hmm. uh, you can then see all the different potion colors in Minecraft because it's that purple, shiny 
uh, overlay ah, that kind of that makes yeah, okay, all the purples and blues look alike. So when you remove it, all of a sudden the fire resist potion is orange and speed is <laughs> light blue and water right. uh, was it underwater breathing is dark blue. And you're like, oh, this makes so much more sense now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yes, that enchantment glint is very bright. Moving on to the main email this week from Birder24, a avid listener of the Spawn Trunks, traversing new caves and cliffs. Hello, Joel and Gemini Tay. Before going to the end, the primary mode of transportation is walking. I am slightly concerned that traveling or traversing these new caves and cliffs on foot will be tedious and slow. Especially once we get more used to 118, the novel feeling of these train generations will steadily wear off, and I can see myself eventually getting annoyed, but by the very slow overworld travel and constant jumping. For one, sprinting resets you if you hit a block uh, by not timing the jump correctly, meaning you will not be possible to sprint up these mountains. Pillaring up using dirt and a water bucket to get down isn't very fast. Something interesting I noticed is that both of these solutions use generic mechanics. Items like ladders, which you might expect players to use to climb, are simply not practical compared to the good old dirt pillar. Perhaps Mojang could expand ladder functionality or add some other climbing mechanic or item. Don't get me wrong, these terrain changes are absolutely stunning. However, at the current iterations, terrain generation is still very mountainous, despite the latest tweaks to have more flat areas. In my opinion, Elytra will become even more essential, causing players to quote-unquote speedrun the early game. Horses may be more commonly used since they can run up and down blocks without needing to jump. What are your thoughts about traveling in this snapshot in survival? Do you think Mojang needs to revisit transportation, especially vehicle transportation in early game? Would love to hear your opinions. And thanks for the amazing podcast, Birder24. Who doesn't want to resort to auto jump? So I agree with the tediousness of uh, mm -hmm. going up and down, um, experimenting in a couple of snapshots over the first iterations of these experimental snapshots. Uh, I didn't get very far into the game because I only did like one stream. So three hours of Minecraft, like even if you're rushing, how far do you get in terms of your, your ability to be, you know, transporting yourself around? It's usually by foot. Uh, I right. didn't even have enough iron to build armor. So I definitely didn't have Minecraft trails and rails and things like that. Um, so my surface exploration tended to be a lot of up and down. And I, I also feel like a lot of it tended to be always mountainous. Uh, I didn't necessarily find or see a lot of paths between mountains that you can certainly do in 117 content. Uh, the plains biomes tend to be a great way to get around. Whereas in the snapshots, everything seemed to go up and down by 10, 20 blocks. Even the flat or, you know, rolling hills area tended to be a lot of jumping. And uh, I noticed it. I don't necessarily know if it was something that I just need to get used to or whether it just kind of like bit me as like, ah, this is getting a little bit old. It could have also been the fact that, you know, like I was dying a lot and having to go back and get your stuff and walking long distances without really doing anything. Um, you know, you're, you're on a mission to go get your stuff. You're not like sightseeing and taking your time. So that I find uh, was a bit of an issue. I agree with Birder though. It all looks fantastic. I mean, every time they tweak something so far in these snapshots, uh, with the exception of some small things, like I think they, they raised desert temples a week or two ago, and then they've now buried them again a little bit more. So it feels a little bit more like an archeological dig. Um, so that kind of stuff I think is, is better to like be reverted, but most of the changes that they're making progressively, I think just get better and better and better every time. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. It's very impressive. 
I'm just not sure how, you know, I feel so far about uh, traversing stuff. Um, I have not so secretly been hoping for a minecart update uh, for ah. better mid-game transportation and a lot of other things. I think a lot of redstone players and a lot of different avenues in the game could be uh, improved by having faster or better or somehow different minecart tools at our disposal. Uh, something to get ourselves up you know, the sides of mountains faster before you have elytra, uh, be able to sightsee as you go along. I think that just kind of opens up a lot of uh, things. However, I also think that there's a lot going into this new snapshot development and 118. I don't think we're going to see any kind of technical stuff come along with the update. Yeah, no, me either. One thing I would like to mention there, I do think that a simple change could just be to make some of those recipes a bit cheaper. Because right now, minecarts have, a, it's a lot of iron to get those rails, especially with how deep the world goes now. That was a little bit cheaper if you got a few more, or ladders even, if you got a few more for those sticks. Like, I think that would make a big difference. I think too that if you can find some scaffolding, then ladders you have to place on a block. So you can't really use right. them to go up a mountain. But you could use scaffolding if, you can, if you're near a jungle. Uh, once you get a little bit of bamboo, it's very easy to get, it, to get a lot of it. Then you're kind of, yeah, exactly. you'd be stuck for string. I would imagine early game would be the, the harder thing. Um, so then you can get up the sides of mountains a little bit faster. It's not the most attractive thing to leave up in the world. So like there's that, <laughs> uh, it depends on whether it's your permanent home or whether you're just like using it to scale, to scale a mountain. But, um, I, I often wonder about things like having a rope in Minecraft. I've seen that in modded Minecraft as well, where, um, people use rope to get down, not necessarily to get back up, but uh, mm -hmm. they're able to to um, use a rope to get down something. And then it just looks like a, a rope dangling on the side of a mountain rather than, you know, using a water bucket or, or something like that. I mean, I guess the water bucket leaves no trace, but it just, it all feels, I mean, in a way it's old school, you know, using water to get around, <laughs> but it's it's one it of those is, things yeah. that I, I I do think that there needs to be some sort of twist. Now, I know, uh, Gem, on the Hermitcraft server this season, there has been some in-game and in-community movement to not fly around so early in the progression of the season. How's that been for you? That's been very interesting. It is my first season of Hermitcraft, so when I joined and they were immediately like, so we're going to make a club for no wings. I was like, what? But... I kind of love it. And going back to the mountain discussion, like I agree they are difficult to walk over, but I kind of enjoy it. Like I know we want to do things quickly and efficiently, but stop and smell the roses for a minute. Enjoy that early game grind a bit. And I feel like the mountains are kind of nice. You kind of sometimes you maybe find one that you kind of need to go around or maybe you're going to traverse over it. And it's a big adventure. Like I could see myself doing a video on that big adventure mountain climbing up with the goats like that's a video. That's definitely a video. I could see myself having some fun with that. Like at the moment in 1.17, walking around, you see everything very quickly. Like it is efficient, which is fantastic, but you can get 4,000 blocks in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, I've done it, unfortunately. It's not that fun, but you know, it's, it gets old, I think, unless you're trying to be extremely efficient. So on Hermitcraft, when we had this No Wings Club started by Iskal, I played with no wings for 250 days, which was a long time. And I started my mega base, which is very tall. And I built this organic deer. And those are things that you really want to have wings for to be able to like go back and get a view of what you're doing. But honestly, it was really lovely. Like we traveled a lot on horses. We had these paths all around the world. We still have them and can use them. We're seeing people use llamas to move items, which <laughs> I've never seen anybody use llamas for that functionality, but 
it's so cool to see somebody do that, to move through the world with this pack of llamas on a lead, moving your items from one place to another, which normally you just use shulkers for. We also saw people like Iskal and Etho using tridents with Riptide to traverse shattered savannas, which I think super viable method in the mid game for this new terrain. Definitely, if you can get your hands on one. I've not used tridents. Did, have you used one? Really? They're so fun. Yeah. They're a bit tricky, but they're so fun. <laughs> uh, right now on the server, I am using wings once again, but it definitely allowed me to remember the simplicity of just enjoying some of those early moments in Minecraft. Uh, sure, it's way more efficient to use the shulkers and the wings to carry your item, but a path for llama transport is way cooler and not something I've seen done a lot. I've not used llamas at all. I, yeah, do they, exactly. You have to lead them. Like you can't, they don't, you can't you, ride them. You right? just lead one and then the rest follow. Oh, right. The llama train. Okay. Yeah. I remember that now. It's very cool. And yeah, nobody uses it because why would you? But now, I mean, if you need to track through a mountain or something and you need to carry your stuff from one base to another, maybe, maybe you use yeah. llamas. I think there's probably a, a lot of that kind of going on behind the scenes at, at Mojang. This is pure speculation. I don't know for sure, but. There mm -hmm. seems to be a drive with the challenges of traversing the new terrain to use more early and mid-game options where people just will often just skip right to yeah, Elytra. slow down for a second. Yeah, um, because there are those options like uh, donkeys. You can put stuff on donkeys. You can put chests on yeah, donkeys and, and exactly. ride them around. Not the fastest thing in the world, faster than walking. Faster than walking and very cool. You get some cool points mm -hmm. from me for that. Yep, yep, especially if they look like a Supra. Uh, there's, a, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of um, options there that I just don't explore. I wonder if my llama bias comes from my dislike of the wandering trader and his buddies. <laughs> so I'm just, the llamas are guilty by association of no fault oh, of their own. Oh, those poor llamas. They're so innocent. They're just trying to help you out. Also, you could put the carpets on them. They could be so decorated. I, I think it's really cool. That's right. I forget about the carpets too. Yeah, I just, I, it's too bad that you can't do more with that kind of stuff. I think a llama wearing armor would be hilarious. <laughs> a battle llama. Yes, please. <laughs> nice. Well, moving on into the main discussion this week, uh, I wanted to touch on the fact that Gemini Tay has recently transitioned into full-time content creation. And uh, you've got a lot of stuff happening on YouTube and Twitch. I thought we could chat about the ups, the downs, uh, the road to get there, and what it's like now managing and maintaining your content going forward. So I'll put this again at the top of the discussion because I don't want it to be just a footnote later. Uh, folks, you can follow Gemini Tay MC on Twitter. It's Gemini Tay MC on YouTube and Gemini Tay on twitch.tv. So all those places are where you can keep up with, with Gemini and what she's doing. Um, just quickly, how often are you publishing videos from each the Empires and Hermitcraft server right now? I do once a week from each server, which is twice a week, technically. So Empires on the weekdays and Hermitcraft on weekends. Uh, so that's working pretty well. Just two videos a week. Pretty simple. They're usually about a half hour, maybe 20 minutes. It's been working out. And as far as your live stream goes, because uh, I've caught a couple of, of them here and there, do you keep a regular schedule for streaming or is it just kind of like whenever you have time? I do not. Streaming, I mean, I was streaming a bit more pushing towards getting Twitch partner, but now that I have Twitch partner, I've slowed down a little bit. I would like to be at a once or twice a week for streams, but sometimes I like uh, taking other opportunities like this podcast, for example, and taking some time off Twitch. So I allow it to be a little more relaxed over on Twitch. I don't keep a schedule. 
I mentioned this at the top of the show and congrats again for the massive milestone of hitting 1 million YouTube subscribers. How does that oh feel gosh. for you, given that the majority <laughs> of this work was put in before you went full time? Yeah, crazy. I, I, one million is, it, that's a big number. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's insane. You're very I don't comfortable know. with it, I can tell. <laughs> it, it's weird because like no matter what, like I said this at 100K too, it never feels it doesn't feel any different. You know, it's like when you're nine and you turn 10 and they ask you how you feel now that you're in double digits and you're like, I don't feel that much different. That, that's that's kind of how it feels like I'm, I'm very grateful, but I'm, I don't know, it's it's so hard to explain. Actually, uh, my grandpa and grandma came over yesterday and they hung my plaque up on the wall behind me, which is very weird and exciting to have those two plaques now hanging there, but they've been such a huge support system for me because of course as you mentioned I was not full-time until June so over this last winter I was working in a hospital uh, doing a clinical rotation learning how to be a lab tech. Uh, while I was doing that I was also working at YouTube but I was working out of my grandparents basement which they allowed me to set up in and I basically went from half a million subscribers to 800,000 subscribers in that basement while I was working in the hospital, and it was definitely the hardest thing I've ever done, uh, coming home uh, after work in the hospital to then record hardcore Minecraft is very tough. But I got through it, and I got to come back this summer and celebrate one million with my community, and I'm really proud of that. That's fantastic. Uh, going from 500 to 800K while going to school full-time is, that's a lot of work. It is, yeah. It, it doesn't feel like it, though. Because it's just so much fun. <laughs> you, you know, you're right. Like, I, I, I like what I do as well. I can feel tired at the end of the day. Like, being creative, being on podcasts or streaming or videos, like, anytime you're kind of engaging and being entertaining is tiring, even as, even mm -hmm. as fun as it is. Um, but uh, I don't know where you found the energy at the end of a long day <laughs> to, do, to do videos and stuff like that. Because all I of your stuff either. is so upbeat. Yeah. Like, it's just so present, you know, with, with what you do. Um, yeah, with, with regards to the, the, the jump in subscribers, was that, that, was that before Hermitcraft? Yeah. Uh, my hard, I had a hardcore series running on my channel. Right. I ran it for 30 something episodes and it did really well. I also ran Skyblock, a couple of Skyblock videos on my channel. They're currently my most popular videos and they had a really big bump over this winter, even though I recorded them in the fall. They kind of took off a few months after upload, which happens sometimes. And I'm very grateful that it does because it massively helps me when I'm away, not able to upload new stuff. So the last time that you were on, we talked mostly about your creative work in, in Minecraft. Uh, so these mm -hmm. ventures into into survival, whether it's Skyblock or Hardcore, those are your first or most recent, I guess, move, right? Like that's that's relatively new for the channel. Yeah, definitely. Uh, with YouTube, I found it's it's very helpful to keep moving. Uh, don't don't slow down. Keep changing. Keep evolving. It doesn't have to be massively evolving. I'm still playing Minecraft, but little things. So last time I was on this podcast, uh, we were chatting about my creative builds, and that was not that long ago. That that's kind of crazy to me that it, it did move that fast. But I began it began making survival videos as a main focus last summer. Uh, I did a bunch of thinking and 
what I can do to help my channel grow because I was kind of stuck at like 200,000 subscribers for several months and I was like what can I do to mix this up and I realized looking at a few different super successful channels in the Minecraft community that this personality type content was really important so allowing your audience to relate more to you rather than to your art so that they actually are attached to you as a person and will follow you through various series that you do rather than just one build or something like that. I love the art that I got to do and getting to express myself through Minecraft, but building large maps in creative mode wasn't relatable to a wider audience at all. I, that's why I was kind of stuck. So I decided that I wanted to be a YouTuber and not just an artist. So I brought my skill level down to an accessible level and started a survival series where I took the time to enjoy the early game, built an adorable little starter area, which I love. I used iron tools for a while horseback rode through trails and it turns out people really like that and I really enjoyed getting to storytell through the survival aspect of the game. Getting to go on an adventure, create funny moments, it turned out to be a lot of fun and it came naturally over time. I think there's something to slowing down in the early game and letting the randomness of Minecraft kind of guide you a bit. Mm -hmm, I feel like in creative mode like you've got everything at your fingertips and even if you're playing in a generated landscape and, and you want to build something you you still have something in mind and you have all of the tools at your disposal to change anything pretty quickly mm -hmm. um even with the enjoyment of a slower early game did you find it at all frustrating in those early days switching from creative to survival because like oh, i just want some prismarine <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I think I set myself up in a way where I wouldn't like I, I knew that my builds would be simple. So I built them out of wood and things that I knew would be very easy to get because I purposefully did not want to be grinding. Like so those creative builds were taking me like 40 hours of video. Like I wanted to relax. I wanted to chop down some trees, farm some wheat and chill in Minecraft. So I purposely set my world up in a way where I would be able to do that successfully and take it more chill. It's just stuff that's kind of starter base because a lot of players can't get prismarine because they're not sure how to set up that guardian farm so it's really relatable to do it that way and you can kind of bring it up into that getting prismarine a little later in the world like a few months down the road but starting off at this really relatable level of not having stuff just having wood and cobble is really what the minecraft audience likes a lot of the time I often hear about the divide. I, f I hear about the people that are like wanting end game and wanting to rush to end game. They just, they can't, mm -hmm. they just want to get Elytra and, you know, as much stuff as they can from mob drops and farms and, and things like that ASAP. Uh, I can appreciate it on a certain level. Like I definitely early game, I want to have some sort of renewable food. You know, I don't want to have to hunt for, for foods, even if it's a mm -hmm. vegetable garden. Like I just, I want something to, to eat all the time and not have to worry about that. Um, but for me, I like, going slow to a point uh in the last few months i've definitely restarted with uh, a couple of snapshot worlds here and there and going from a four-year-old server where i've got elytra and shulker boxes coming out my ears and every block at my fingertips i might as well be playing creative like if i want to test a certain <laughs> block palette i just i empty my ender chest onto the floor and be like all right what do we want to test you know like uh dripstone uh, right. how about this how about that how about moss and it's it's fun. And then you get into a situation where you're building with cobblestone and logs again. And you're just like, oh, wow, this feels like default Minecraft village. Like, how can I up the ante a little bit here? I, I tend to be like, well, I, I can build this way, but I've seen it all before. And it's an interesting mm. challenge to try to make it look different. Interesting. Yeah. I think I find myself missing that sometimes. Like I'm on Hermitcraft right now where we build 
very large things. They're known for <laughs> rushing the dragon episode one. <laughs> like, that's just, yeah. that's what they do. So recently I was playing some ABBA caving with a few hermits and I found a zombie dungeon and I was like, oh, that makes me miss the early game because we have no use for zombie dungeons on Hermitcraft. We have a giant Enderman farm. We have all of this giant like gold farms. Like we, we, never, we never got to the point in the game where we really needed that. And it made me kind of miss it. I was like, I want to surround this in some logs and some cobble and, and make something cute. <laughs> you could make a copper farm, turn it into a drowned copper farm or something. I, I imagine ah, true. probably already one of those on the Hermitcraft server too. I guess there is. I, I believe there's two or three. Yeah, that that <laughs> likely comes with, you know, the the mix of the technical players on the server and then the and, yeah. the, and the building players. And, and I mean, not that I mean, there's always a mix of both, I think, but some players just kind of lean one way or the other. Yeah, I definitely love it. I love that they rush the end game. And we get to see all these massive like we push Minecraft to the limits, but mm -hmm. it is nice to come back to your roots and do the simple stuff every now and then. Yeah, I've, I try to present chill content, you know, when I'm doing stuff. And I think that there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from doing those early days of Minecraft and starting over mm -hmm. and and taking your time to explore certain things and different mechanics. And um, especially if you already have a, a situation, like for example, I mean, you're on both Hermitcraft and Empires and there's different play mm -hmm. styles in both. But for me, having the four-year-old uh, Citadel server, when I do start over, I'm not at a race to experience the end game because I, I can, if I want to, if I get mm -hmm. frustrated and I want to play end game, I'll just play on the Citadel. And if I want to do something else, if I want to slow down, I can flip flip things over and, and play on on something else. Uh, I'm thinking yeah, about exactly. getting into some modded stuff. So over the last few weeks, we've heard changes that are coming in 118 to lighting and mobs. So your switch from creative to survival would have also meant that you've had to light and or mob proof all of these builds. <laughs> so you're not having creepers fall on your head. Did you find that uh, an interesting switch, especially in a hardcore world? Ah, uh, yeah. To be honest, I'm still having creepers fall on my head. <laughs> uh, it's fine though. <laughs> I'm making it work. Yeah, accidental mob spawners do happen. I do forget about that every now and then, but I tend to sleep through every night, try to avoid it as much as I can. And yeah, lighting in Minecraft 1.17 is a pain in the butt. It is. It's it's hard. Everything is covered in torches all the time. There's not enough light sources. So I'm happy with the changes that I've seen so far with that. What about you? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Same reason. Uh, I haven't used a lot of candles in my medieval build because they don't give off enough light mm, to really do anything. Yeah. So when they do, it's going to be a huge switch. Game changer. Think, yeah, yeah uh, I'll, be, I'll be watching players like yourself and Pearlescent Moon and a lot of other creative players that I follow like Whip and uh, Mythical Sausage because I just know that you all are going to come up with some crazy cool like lighting uses and, and still be like, as excited as ever to be like, and it's mob proof. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's light level two and it's mob proof. It's amazing. There's no creepers. <laughs> <laughs> Something that uh, I wanted to, to ask you about now is after completing your, your education, uh, moving into the working world, uh, but not necessarily in what you've been trained in professionally, but as a full-time content creator, what does your time management look like now compared to when you were making Minecraft content and completing, you know, your education? Oh my gosh, my world has changed. It's so it's so different. School is is so tricky compared to compared to working as a YouTuber. And <laughs> I guess that's probably a pretty obvious statement, but there's just I feel like I have so much time in a day. I can actually 
have time for myself. I can have time to cook food and paint and do things that I like. When I started full time in June and announced I was going to be joining not just one, but two survival multiplayer servers, there were a lot of people concerned about my time, like a lot, a lot. And uh, it's valid, I suppose, if I was still in school. But it turns out when you're working 40 hours a week, writing exams, studying and going to class all while trying to spend several hours a day also playing Minecraft, things get a bit easier when you only have to play Minecraft. There's still a lot to do, of course, but I've been really enjoying that I can actually take time off now, like to go cod fishing, like we talked about in the render distance pre-show. Um, a typical day for me now looks like a cup of coffee in the morning. I love making myself a latte or a cup of tea. I do a little bit of editing or building in the morning or talk to you if it's this morning in particular. And then usually I'll go out for the afternoon. I won't actually work. I'll go to a cafe, go on a walk, do something like that outdoors. And I'll come back for the rest of the afternoon and the evening and play, do some work, play some Minecraft, whatever I need to do. Uh, usually I take every night off. I've been reading a lot. I love being able to paint again and just enjoy my hobbies, like playing Valorant with friends. Definitely have my life back now. School, school took away a lot of that ability with me working full-time and being in school. It was, it was impossible. I remember not knowing what to do my, with myself in the evenings when yeah. I finished... <laughs> Uh, when I finished animation school, so I, I went to university for four years and then I did another year learning um, some tech skills in animation. And then I moved into working in television, which at the time, while long hours sometimes for deadlines was still nine to five, especially when I moved into right. production management because I was, I was still involved, but I wasn't doing as much drawing. And I'd get home at six o'clock and be just like, what, what do I do now? I, like, I'm so <laughs> I'm so used to being in the studio or the library until the wee hours of the evening, eating dinner at 11 mm -hmm. and then rinsing and repeating and like six o'clock the next morning. And I just, I did not know what to do. And uh, it sounds like you have a nice handle on it. I find that there's a lot of uh, workaholics in the content creation slash entrepreneurial online business, you know, kind of realm. Uh, I'm guilty of it. I know I, I work almost seven days a week now. And it's, it's hard to take that time sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, I like cooking like you uh, mentioned. And so that has been nice. Uh, people that are listening to this show more frequently will know that I have a, a new barbecue this summer. So I've been doing a lot of smoking meat and, and barbecue oh, stuff. So, yeah. and that's not a quick process like that. Even just making like <laughs> barbecued chicken is like an hour and a half, which is fine. I don't, I don't mind it. I enjoy the, the process of it because it means that I kind of have to focus on just that, you know, because I don't want to burn dinner. So it means that I have to slow down and I've been pretty good at taking my, my evenings to myself, but right now my weekends are still, I will say they're half days. I have my weekend mornings, but then I usually stream in the afternoons. That's where I can mm -hmm. tend to, to fit things. Fit I feel like that's in. still a good balance. Definitely. It's something like I also usually work seven days a week and then I'll take like a four day weekend or something like that, like every now and then rather than taking every single weekend off. But it definitely helps to just take an evening or take a morning. Like it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a full day. I would get bored personally, especially in the winter time here. I'm going to need to be working. Yeah, I, I think so too. When it comes to uh, that kind of stuff with content creation, I, with only doing it part-time, uh, I guess I consider it a side hustle. I mean, it, it is part of my, my income now, but it's not a big part. Not Certainly not like anybody like you that's full-time. And even I feel the hamster wheel nature of of the content creation work. So how mm -hmm. how do you manage the 
we'll say expectations of fans and followers regarding content creation and and that kind of stuff it can be so hard uh, there's so many demands i feel like just people are hungry for content all the time which which is great but it can be really hard to keep up with when you are the sole producer of this content you know you're the writer you're the editor you're the actor you're you're the whole you're the whole thing so I think it's really important to manage expectations and the audience perception. Um, uh, it's not something that I put a ton of thought into, and I think that's why it works for me. There's always, of course, the weird feeling of I should do more, I could have done more today, but try and just focus on what I can do. I notice when I look at your Twitch in particular, Joel, you have a schedule set, which is really fun. I uh, <laughs> I don't have that. So that means that your viewers have this expectation that you're going to come back every weekend, right? I, I assume. Do you find there's any pressure in that? I I think because I still treat it, I, wanna, I don't want to say like a hobby, but I treat it like a video game. So like if anything right. else comes up family member thing uh you know uh time with my girlfriend uh an event that i want to do a, a hike that i just can't pass up or something like that i just i have no qualms canceling a stream i'm just like no stream this saturday see you tomorrow i just i need to be outside today uh it'll just happen um i haven't been doing that lately because i have been focusing on on growing the channel and uh depending on the weekend uh this past weekend was the first nice one in a while we've had a lot of rainy weekends we're like i just i'm not missing anything so i might as well stream you know people and friends are either uh, on vacation with their family away uh still not comfortable maybe hanging out with a lot of people because of covid not me but like other people might be just like well we're not really ready to hang out just yet so you got to respect mm -hmm. that but it means that there's just not a lot to do and so i've been putting in the extra time on weekends now as far as expectations go I feel like I've been able to communicate with my community in that, yes, there is the expectation that Fridays at three, Saturday, Sundays at one, my local time is about when I start to stream. I go for about three mm -hmm. hours. Um, I haven't had any negative feedback when I have to skip it. I get more positive feedback and like, a, oh, we're going to miss you. Can't wait for tomorrow. That kind of stuff, <laughs> which is really nice. You know, it's, it's a nice yeah. feeling to have. But I don't have a super large community where the percentage of people that are just like, I want your free thing and I want it now, you know, which I, I know <laughs> does happen. Uh, like I don't I don't see that quite as often as other creators might. Um, the expectation right. challenges that I have a hard time overcoming are when I want to do something that's not Minecraft um, because mm. I have other interests. Uh, I will get a very specific and a very different audience if I live stream any art. So I have some commissions right now, which I need to get cracking on um, for doing emotes for for Twitch. Um, for folks that don't know, I've drawn my own emotes and I did all of uh, Johnny Pixelriff's emotes for him. Um, professionally, he was kind enough to hire me to do the work. And it was a lot of fun. And I, he was also cool with me doing it uh, online. I, I finished up some of the final touches, I think, offline, but I was able to stream a lot of it as fun content for people to watch. And that is a different thing. But when I want to do something like play Satisfactory, maybe play Oxygen Not Included or Borderlands 3, whatever I, I, I'm in the need for uh, in terms of just like, I need to step outside of Minecraft and get a bit of a break. I find it very challenging to have any kind of, um, we'll say residual viewers from my Minecraft stuff. And I, yes, I understand that Minecraft is like a super popular game compared to these other titles, but I, I mean, I'll watch the, the chat just go down by 80%, you know, when I switch yeah. games. And so that's the challenge that I find in terms of the expectation is like, I 
don't want to be just a Minecraft streamer. Yes, I love the game. I'm going to be playing it for a very long time, but I just don't want to pigeonhole myself into fans are only showing up for Minecraft. I'd rather them, like you mentioned earlier with your personality YouTube content, you know, I'd rather them show up for more me and my content than just Minecraft. And it's a difficult balance. Yeah, it is difficult. And like you said, that personality is the key. That's what I was finding with my YouTube channel as well. I was uploading these massive creative builds and people were clicking on the thumbnail for the pretty build in the thumbnail, not for Gemini Tay, which is fine. That That's fine. That's how you grow when you're a small YouTuber. You want people, people need to learn your name. So you need to put something out there that they're going to click on. But I've found it very interesting when I made that switch and people started clicking on my videos because of the name Gemini Tay. That's, it's a very specific switch. It's a hard switch to make happen because it's a mental switch too, I think, that you need to kind of, I don't know, you have to approach it a little bit differently. It, it's, it's an interesting one and I don't have a ton of advice on how to do it, but I know that a lot of people are trying to do that with variety gaming and I'd love to do that as well. I've wanted to play uh, Stardew Valley actually on Twitch for a while and I haven't decided to do it yet. I've been focusing on Minecraft, but yeah, it's definitely something that I'm going to think about. I've got a list of games that I know would be kind of like in line with Minecraft interests. And I, I mean, I tend to like building games or games that are chill. Like I don't necessarily always want to play. I mean, Borderlands 3 is fun. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't always want um like a Starcraft experience. Like when I have mm -hmm. a city builder, I don't want there to be bad guys involved. Like I just kind of want to be <laughs> left alone to do my thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, and and yes, there's mobs in Minecraft, but like it's a nuisance. It's not any real danger, really, unless you're right. kind of adventuring where you shouldn't go without enough gear. Like it's in, at the end game on the Citadel, you know, creepers might destroy a build, but they're very unlikely to cause me any grief because if I die, the bed was 20 feet away. <laughs> like it's just, it's, mm -hmm. it's fine. Something else that likely comes with being on a popular server like Kermitcraft is, well, the popularity of it all. Uh, <laughs> has the upshift in attention been something that you've noticed when trying to manage those fan expectations? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, the attention is fun. I was fairly used to it before. I had was getting about 8 million views a month and now I'm at 10 million. So it's a little jump but it's not massive so that it, it wasn't like a massive shock for me stepping into that. And I think that's very lucky that I got to do that. I got to establish an audience before I was invited into something like Hermitcraft or Empires. So I feel very grateful for that. Um, the main thing that is different is that they both have this tight sense of community around both Empires and Hermitcraft. And it's got really nothing to do with numbers and just the feeling of the group, the support that you get and the want and desire to see you succeed. It's absolutely incredible i especially feel it on twitch it's so amazing to get to chat with everybody and see how everybody feels and they're they're so knowledgeable about the hermitcraft server and about the empire's lore it's so interesting on empires in particular all 12 of us are constantly sharing the fan art and the fan theories and we're absolutely in love with it and we're seeing what everybody comes up with and we're like bouncing ideas off each other like oh look what this person's lore said maybe we can make that actually canon like it's so much fun to see that and to be able to inspire a community like that. That's amazing. It it must be so just rewarding, you know, as a creator, as someone that's putting so much time and effort and um, art output into the world to have Definitely. that many people see it. It just must be so rewarding. It's 
wild. I, I, there, there are no words that I could possibly find <laughs> in this podcast to describe the feeling, but gosh, it's amazing. I'm going to wrap this up with a question from Cosmic Dancer, a uh, patron and a moderator in our community. Both Empires and Hermitcraft are popular and very busy servers full of content creators. How do you balance the planning and projects juggling between the two? So less about time management, more about your creative output going into each server. Mm, right. So I think the key for me is to make sure that I have that mind switch in between them. I have, to, I have to think about them differently. Like when I get on the Empire server, it is a completely different feeling than being on the Hermitcraft server. Like I don't get them confused. They are fully different. There is a different mission on both of them. There is no demon haunting me on Hermitcraft and I'm not a cottage core little elf person on Empires. So they feel very different. I work on each one three days a week. I have a day in the middle to kind of like stream or whatever I'm doing and kind of think about it. That's what my day today is. Basically, I just finished up a Hermitcraft episode. I'm going to move on to Empires. It's kind of kind of interesting to balance that. I try to make them as different as I can. And I also, for the creative process, I have booklets everywhere on my desk and I'll write down ideas. I'll be like, this person wants to collab. It's going to go here. Like, here's how Hermitcraft episode 12 is going to lay out. Here's how empires episode 12 is going to lay out and i have both of those things making sure that i have them written down and in order and know what i'm going to do when i get online um of course my main worry wasn't for me and my balance it was actually the audience being able to handle me having two worlds so before i even announced that i was joining these i made sure i set them up very differently visually in very simple ways so using completely different blocks for the build different Minecraft skins, different background music, different thumbnails, like completely different feeling series to the extent that I can and have it still be my style that people recognize. It's all to try to keep the audience remembering which series they're clicking on. And so far it seems to be working. I feel like I've gotten everybody used to the schedule. Everything seems to be going well. The expectations are definitely there and met. That's really interesting that you've got them split into three day blocks. So it sounds like you don't bounce back and forth between Hermitcraft and empires within the same three days. It feels like three days is Hermitcraft and then there's a break and then there's three days is empire. Usually, yeah. The yeah. only exception would be collabs. Like if right. somebody needs me, if I'm recording Hermitcraft and somebody needs me on empires real quick, I don't mind hopping on empires for an hour. It's not a big deal. I have right. long, long days I can hop on and do a collab. But like for my personal content of like building up my base, it'll be in three day blocks. Are there other, I'm not as familiar with empires. Are there other players that are on both Hermitcraft and empires? Perlescent Moon is one of those players. She is playing on both. She's in the same situation that I am, and she is also rocking that balance. So I feel like we're both doing really good at balancing both servers. Nice. I'd imagine it would be very confusing if you had like a, a quite a number of people that were on both. Like, I want to collab. Cool. Where? <laughs> Where are we collabing? What, what hat do I have on today? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, do you have any background in like marketing or... Uh, or that kind of stuff, because I agree with you in that, you know, looking at your as your YouTube page, you can very clearly see the difference between like the Empire's thumbnails and the Hermitcraft thumbnails, but and also just like that, the content feel watching one versus the other. Yeah, there it's definitely very intentional to have them very different, but I don't have any background in that. No, that's just I don't know, I guess I get well, I mean, I've been on YouTube since 2011, so I guess my background is just YouTube. I just I'm getting used to how the audience responds to stuff and I'm uh, preemptively thinking of how I can help and make it less confusing. 
10 years on YouTube. That's amazing. Yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's one of those things that I've noticed when I, you know, in my personal art career that you hit that 10 years, 10,000 hours, which I mean, I'm sure with YouTube, you hit a lot earlier than, than 10, than 10 years, but there's that stride of like knowing what you do, like really feeling yeah. confident and comfortable with like how a video does performance wise, what it looks like content wise, why did it do Definitely. well? Why did it not do well? Um, I'm still struggling with that cause I'm new. I'm only two or three years into like Twitch streaming and stuff. So, uh, I still struggle with like, well, that went well. Why? <laughs> what's, what's different <laughs> about this? Was it like, did I just get enough sleep last night? Like what, what was it that changed, uh, you know, overnight in terms of why this went well and, and not. And I think the hard thing to do with all of this content creation is trying to separate the artistic output which can be very personal and you can be very attached to it mm -hmm. uh, and then if it falls flat from a business perspective trying not to take that too much to heart yeah that is very hard i agree and then you also have to think about like well you can't control people's schedules like just because you're having a rough weekend on twitch doesn't mean that you're not doing well half the world could be on vacation this weekend you know like it's <laughs> it's the it's the first summer in in a year and a half where the pandemic in a lot of countries has allowed for more movement you know so people mm -hmm. are just like straight to Wales. I'm looking at you, Pixel Riffs. Like, just, you know, <laughs> people are getting out. And, and it means that there's just less people staring at their tablets and phones and computers watching content online, um, which was the opposite experience I had last summer. Uh, exactly, last summer, yeah. I felt that there was an uptick in all of that kind of stuff. So I feel like, in a way, while the pandemic has been very good for creators like us, there was a false sense of security maybe early on where there was just like a captive audience. And as that starts to dissipate a bit, I'm, I'm going to be curious to see how it all spins out. Yeah, you definitely need to take advantage of all that and plan for it. Like something I, I know because I speak to a lot of YouTubers is they're planning for Christmas because Christmas is a super busy time, right? Kids have time off during Christmas, but you don't want to take time off during Christmas. So you, you plan for it. You make sure that you see that coming. And that's something that a newer creator may not know to do in July or August. They may not think about that, but you, you do need to think about what you're going to be doing and make sure that you're ready. I did that last year actually. And, and I, I think got the rewards from it because I just, it was COVID winter. It was Canada, mm -hmm. you know, as you well know, it's, it's not the most friendly outside uh, during December <laughs> and January. And I just leaned into it and, and I decided to just stream as often as I could play a couple of different games as often as I could, uh, try to introduce that variety. And I mean, I still got vacation. I basically hung out and played video games. I just was sharing it with people mm -hmm. and it, uh, it did work out. So excellent advice. I can, I can say with a stamp does work. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that wraps up another episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the things that Gemini talked about at thespawnchunks.com. Music for the show was composed by Johnny, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you get value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? Visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join the community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to the patron-only Discord server and get us closer to our next goal, which is coming up very quickly. And that is the monthly Minecraft audio hangout, where we'll hang out in Discord on audio with a couple of our patrons and talk about what everyone has been doing in Minecraft. Currently at 282 patrons, the most we have ever had. That's up five more from last week. So welcome to all the new people. Thank you so much for supporting the show. 
And a special thanks go out to our content engineers, General Patent 82, Hunter 555, Jumbo Sale, Magma Cube Dude, and Yitz. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm and say, hey, you should listen to The Spawn Chunks, and you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com, find the RSS feed on the spawnchunks.com, and of course, the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast, this week with more Gemini Tay. Gemini, thank you so much for filling in for Johnny this week. This has been an absolute blast. You are welcome back anytime. Where can people find you and more of the content that you do online? Thank you, thank you. They can find me at Gemini Tay pretty much everywhere. Gemini Tay MC on Twitter. Thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. Everything I am up to online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to The Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment at thecitadelcafe.com. This week, we talked with Alistair about uh, more Hades. We talked about the What If series from Marvel on Disney+, and a documentary about Flight of the Navigator. Highly encourage you to check it out. That's thecitadelcafe.com. And of course, you can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch where I am playing Satisfactory and Minecraft on a regular basis. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and so is Gem's greatness.